You ever have those times when it's just a dark time in your life? Time that you're just crying out to God and saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you here now? Why can't I sense that you're with me during whatever it is that, that we're going through? A lot of times, the God that we want is the God that we kind of make up, who we say, when I need you, God, I'm going to clap, and then you're going to be there, and we're going to you know, go on, and life's going to be great. But during those dark times, we don't see God, we don't sense God, and so we wonder, are you there? Have you just totally forgotten me? And, you know, now it's kind of like, I don't, I don't know if, if you're real. I don't know if, if you care. Remember the clapper? You guys remember the clapper, those commercials? I love that, 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 that commercial. I love that commercial because the, it was just an older lady laying in bed, light on, and all of a sudden she just turns over and realizes the light's on. She goes, and she claps, and the lights go out, and she goes back to sleep. That lady reminded me of my grandmother, and so I was so excited that next Christmas because I was like, I know what I'm buying my grandmother for Christmas. So yeah, I'm the dummy, and I bought her the clapper. And so excited, I was there Christmas, and I'm spending a couple days with her. And so her room is across the hall from where the guest room where I was sleeping. And my grandmother had a cold that night. She, we, we plugged in her clapper, and it was awesome. And so she goes to bed. Lights go out. All night long, I hear this. <coughs> the lights come on. She coughs again. The lights go off. This went on for like a half an hour. And I didn't really hear the coughing. I just saw the lights going off and on. And I was like, what is going on with Grandma? Until I finally heard this. Ugh! And she goes, Nelson! And so I had to go in there and unplug that and go back to you know, a switch or a, or a little thing like that. But the clapper was, to me, was a great invention. To my grandmother, not so much. But to a lot of us, that is how we want God. God, you know what? I'm having a hard time. I need you here. Okay, I'm done now. I'm going to put you back in my pocket. I'm going to put you on the side because I don't want you to, to really convict me or, or really talk to me. But the next time I have a hard time, I'm going to ask that you come back. And we live life that way to where God is only there when we need something from Him. But then when we get in those really dark times and we cry out and we say, Where are you, God? Why aren't you here now during this time in my life? Whatever that is. And that, that looks different for, for a lot of us. Those dark times. And if we just look in this past, just this past month in Dubuque, you just look in the paper or even, you know, on the news now, and you look at some of the things that are going on, there are some dark times that are happening right here in Dubuque. And a lot of things that are happening, we've had a number of funerals just in this past um, two, three weeks right here for either family members or people in, in town. And just hard times. And there are people that are asking, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? I want to just challenge us for a few minutes tonight. Some of the things that we're going to be sharing are ideas that we, we, we pull up from the Bible of why God may be allowing certain things to happen in our lives. It's not saying that every one of these is going to fit into where you're at. But I want us to start to get an understanding of the fact that God hasn't left us during the hard times. Remember that, that um, painting or that drawing of the, of the footprints in the sand? 
where it, it talked about, God, I see two sets of footprints, mine and yours. But then when the hard times came, there was only one set. Why did you leave me? And the, and the story goes that God said, I didn't leave you at that time. I was carrying you. And, and, and a lot of times we see that and we see those footprints and we think that it's, they're just our footprints. That God's left us and we're kind of on our own during this time. So some of the things that we want to just talk about here today are, are just kind of to encourage us to understand that God hasn't left us. There are some things that, that God can be doing that he's working through, even through those hard times. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be going through a few different um, verses here. But 2 Corinthians 12 is going to be kind of where we're going to start. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. This is Paul, the apostle, writing. Paul's just had some, some incredible revelations from God. To the point where you could get a big head thinking, wow, you know what? I know a lot of things here. And this is pretty incredible to where he, he could start to think, man, you know what? I'm pretty special. So we pick it up here in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So a lot of people have come out and they tried to sit there and say, here is what it was that Paul's talking about. There was a thorn in the flesh. There was something that God Gave Paul, and some people say it was blindness, some say it was some kind of infliction. And we don't know, it doesn't come out and say, this is what it was. But we know it was something that Paul didn't like. Because three times it says, he went to God and he said, God, would you take this away from me? So it wasn't like, God, would you take it away? It's not going to happen. And then he stopped. He just kept praying and he said, God, I really wish you would take this away. And then when he didn't, this is when, when God came up and said, you know what? Because of this, it's keeping you humble, but it's also making it to where you understand that you really are weak apart from me. And that's why when, when God says, he says that in your weakness, you're strong. When we're the weakest is when we rely on God's strength, and that's when we're the strongest. It's through our weakness that we gain our strength. When we feel like we're strong in ourselves, we won't rely on God as much. And then we're not as strong as we could be. And so that's what um, God is, is talking to Paul through, through that. And he said, so we ask, why does God allow us to go through that? Why did God allow Paul to go through those things? Why did God allow other people throughout Old Testament and New Testament to go through these hard times? Why does he allow us to go through some of these hard times. Think about it when, uh, if it's death. Death of a loved one. And we're going to talk about s- some of that in a little bit. Um, sickness. Ruined relationships. If it's re- relationships with kids, parents, spouse, friends, co-workers, boss. If you've got relationships that all of a sudden aren't as, as good as they used to be. 
And you look at it and you say, boy, that's a hard time that I'm going through. Or if, or if it could be fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of the future, loss of a job, loss of purpose. Why am I here? God, why am I on this earth? We're going through a series with the high school um, on Sunday nights, just talking through what is our purpose for being on this earth? God, why did you put us here? And we're, and we're, we're trying to sort through that from what Scripture says. So we, we look at Job 5.7. When we talk about the hard times, we're going to dive into some passages here. Job 5.7 says, People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. Understand, Job understood a little bit about trouble. Everything that he went through. And, and, it says, he goes and, he, and he says, People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. Anyone else hear a pyro? Right, you can admit it. All right, come on, we got a couple. All right, I know you're Connor. Okay, so, so I'm a pyro. I, I will admit it that you don't want me building a fire that if you want to actually enjoy it because I just, I, I like to make a, a big fire. And I remember when I was a high schooler and I was, and they, they allowed me to be a counselor for this kids' camp out in Massachusetts. And so they made the mistake one night of every, every night we had campfire. And every night, you know, you, you build a campfire, you get around it, and you, you know, and, and you, you always sing the, the classics. It only takes a spark. Okay, and you go through that whole thing. I'll, I'll leave it at that. So you go through and you're just like, oh, you know, and you're just enjoying the fire, enjoying the Bible story, and, and then just kind of talking and, and you go out. Well, they said, Nelson, we want you to be in charge of the fire tonight. And I was like, thank you, God. Finally. My prayers are answered. So I go out, and the fire is normally just a you know, little fire and the sparks like that. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, I want to make it a little bit bigger. I want this to be a fire that people will talk about. And remember the fire. And I can tell you that, honestly, I, I've got my, um, the lady who brought me to Christ back in second grade was part of that camp. And she's on Facebook. I can honestly tell you, she remembers the fire. All right? That's not a good thing. But we're putting this fire in this, you know, this sticks and we're putting it together. In the woods, that there were a bunch of benches that had been, they're going to throw away. They were six foot benches. And I said, you know what? I'm going to build a teepee fire. Because that's what you're supposed to do when you build a fire. I built a six foot teepee fire for a campfire. And I got that thing going to the point where the flames were shooting above the trees up to where it was like the, it was a quarter mile up to the, the main part of the camp where the camp director was. All of a sudden I just hear this screaming and yelling as people are running down the thing and I'm like, they are so excited. It worked. They are so excited about my fire. They came down here, they're, they're ready for like the forest to be on fire. And come down here and they're screaming and yelling. Well, at that point, the fire, it was going. You're not going to put this thing out real soon. Kids are coming down, and they're like, oh, cool. The campfire was basically, you were about 45 yards away from everyone. And so the singing wasn't like, they're like, you have to scream so they can hear you. But I was looking, and I just loved seeing the sparks. Just, they're going up, and they're shooting up, and, and you're just like, I really hope that one goes out before it hits that tree. You know, and, and you're just watching that. But here's Job, and he says, just... People are born for trouble as readily as sparks, like those sparks that fly up, as sparks fly up from a fire. So we look at that and we say, all right, God, during those troubled times, because we know there are sparks out there, 
during those troubled times, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? Let's look at a, a few things that we can, um, may help us answer that. The first one is, the first thing may be to humble us. We talked about this with Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. So it may be that we're starting to get confident in our own, maybe it's our faith, or maybe it's in our job, or whatever it is, and we're starting to put God in, in the back seat. And we're starting to think, wow, you know what? My education got me to where I'm at now. My money, whatever it is. And we start to think that we don't really need God at this moment. And so it may be where God's like, I want you to understand that you do need me. And so it may be that we get to the point where in our lives, we've kind of pushed God aside. We've kind of said, I've got this. I'll clap when I need you, God. And you can come out and you can help me. So the first thing we look at is like, it may be that God's saying, you know what, I may need to humble you a little bit in order for you to understand who I really am. So the the second thing to look at is to strengthen our faith. Some of us are going through times, the hard times, and the reason we're doing that is because God says, I want to strengthen you. I want to make you stronger. We stay in that same um, passage here, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, and it says, that's why I take pleasure, Paul says, in my weaknesses, in insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We understand that we become stronger and our faith becomes stronger when we acknowledge that we are weak on our, ourselves. There's nothing we can do ourselves, but it's all what God does. And when we come to that point of, of understanding that, and a lot of times it's through the hard times that that happens, that's when our faith is strengthened. And then we look at James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. When your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I remember running cross country in college. And I remember that the first time I went out, and I did this. I was like, this is ridiculous. This is, I mean, why am I doing this? And you go out and you run and you go a couple miles. And then pretty soon you're just like, I can't do any more than this. But you just keep every day, you just keep doing that. And you keep saying, okay, you know, what? I'm just going to add a little bit and a little bit more. To where after a month or, or so, you start to realize you're going a lot further than you ever thought you could. Because you're starting to build that endurance. But it's not something that you just wake up and you have it. It, it It takes work. It takes a lot to to get to that point. And so that's what James is saying is that testing of our faith builds our endurance to when we're running the race. Because Paul, if you look throughout the the New Testament, Paul is always talking in sports analogies, which why I love Paul. I mean, but he's always talking about running, run the race. And, you know, you, you, you always run the race to win. And that it says we're in this race. And the whole, the whole point of this is that when we're running this race, you have to have endurance to keep going. If we're going to follow after Christ and live the life that God wants us to live, it's going to be like a race. But it's not like a 100-yard dash. A lot of us want that to be the case. Dear Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need you. 
And they would just want it to be done. And we don't want to have to do anything else with it. But the Christian faith, the Christian walk is a, is a marathon. It's a long, long run. And we have to have endurance to do that. So sometimes going through those hard times strengthens us so that we're ready for when the hard times come. When the next time the hard times come, we're able to endure it because we've had that testing. And then 1 Peter 1.7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So just as, just as you put gold into a fire to purify it, to get rid of all the impurities, to make it to where it's pure gold, God says a lot of times what happens is he puts us through these tests so that when we come out, we're pure. Because going through that starts to wipe off those impurities. If we allow God to work, if we don't sit there and and just say, God, I hate you, I don't want you around, I can't believe you did this, that you're allowing this to happen. But if we understand that God's there in the midst of this darkness carrying us, so that's going to strengthen us and build our endurance. So the third thing we look at is, what another, another reason why God may be allowing hard times in our life is to keep our focus on God and not on things. John, five, uh, John 6, 5 and 6. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. We know the story that there's 5,000 men plus women and children that are gathering together. And they come together, and Jesus already knew what he was going to do. It's not like Jesus was like, I don't know how we're going to feed these people. He already knew that. But he goes to Philip. Now imagine Philip. Here's Jesus, the Messiah, coming to Philip saying, Hey, Philip, um, what are we going to do? And Philip's like, uh, You're God. Uh, you should figure this out. You know, but he was, it says that he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. So he was saying, Philip, do you trust me? Do you trust that I can handle this situation? It's not like Jesus didn't know the answer, but he says, do you trust me that in this, that I'm going to take care of it? So we need to rely more on God than on the things that we have. Our focus needs to be on God, do those hard times, and not on money, on friends, or other things. Not that those things are bad, but if we're sitting there saying, those are the things that are going to get me through these hard times. And our focus is on them, on people or money or possessions or anything else. And it's not on God. God says that's when you've got to realize your focus isn't in the right place. Think about Peter. Jesus is walking on the water, freaking out the disciples. And all of a sudden, you see... You know, Jesus comes up to the disciples and he says, don't, don't be afraid, it's me, Jesus. And Peter says, if it's you, have me come out and walk on the water. What a stupid idea. What was Peter thinking? Hey, if you can do it, I can do it. You know, so Jesus goes, all right, come on out. What's Peter do? He gets out and he starts walking on the water. How cool is that? He's looking at Jesus, he's walking on the water, and all of a sudden it says that he started to look around and see the waves. 
and the wind was coming up and crashing. His eyes went off of Jesus, and it went to the circumstances around him, and it says he started to sink. Jesus grabs, grabs him by the hand, pulls him up, and he says, Oh, ye of little faith. Because Peter's eyes came off of Christ, and he started looking at the things around us. When we start to get our eyes off of God during the hard times, or maybe before the hard times come, it may be that that's what God is trying to, to teach us, is that I want you to realize your eyes are not on me. Your eyes are not focused on me. They're focused on other things. I remember when I was in, in the Air Force, just finishing up in the Air Force, and I was going skiing in Colorado, and I had a roommate, Chuck. And Chuck had cerebral palsy, but Chuck still didn't care about that at all. He wanted to do everything we were doing. And he wanted to go skiing, and we're like, Chuck, I don't think that's the best idea. He wanted to do it. He was, he was going to do it. And I said, all right, we're going to go. And we're going skiing in, uh, out in Winter Park in Colorado. And I like to do, like when I'm skiing, I, I like to go through the woods. I like danger. And I like to like know that I almost killed myself hitting a tree. And it's just something about that that's exhilarating. And so we're out there. And I said, you know what? I want to go through some of these trails. So basically the trails are you put your skis in the trail and you're going through the woods. You're not going to slow down. All right, if you, if you know anything about skiing, the, the snow plow and pizza and all that stuff like that. Well, when you're going through these trails, your skis are locked in and you're just going. And you're going until you get to the end because you're not slowing down. There's nothing you can do. So we had a line of people going. And for some reason, we had Chuck toward the front of this line. And so we're going through and we're just going, whoo, whoo, we're going through this. And I'm watching, you know, the, the, who's in front of me. And all of a sudden, somebody yells something behind me and I turn around to kind of see who it is at that point I hear a scream wah in front of me and it's Chuck who realized that he can't ski very well in the woods and he falls and when he falls the person behind him falls and and it's just like boom 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 and and I'm back here and I turn back around and boom and we're just laid on in the snow in the woods and all we're yelling is Chuck you knucklehead, what are you doing? And so, but the whole point was, I was focused when I was keeping my eyes ahead. I was okay. But when I heard something, I got distracted. I turned back, and I lost sight of what was going on in front of me, and I crashed. And that's what happens in our lives, is that when we have our eyes on Christ, and we say, God, I know what you want for my life. I know how you want me to live. I'm going to do that. We're going Okay. But then pretty soon, there are a lot of things in our life that distract us. Whether it's people, whether it's things, school, work, whatever it is, we've got a lot of distractions. And God kind of gets put to the side. And our focus is on those things. That's when God says, I may need to bring something into your life to get your focus back where it needs to be. And that's what Jesus was doing with, with Peter. Let me get your focus on me. And not on how we're going to feed these people, you know, from Aldi or whatever it is. So I'm not putting a plug out for Aldi. I think, you know, you can, you can shop wherever you want. So just, I'll leave it there. So, all right. So, so the next thing we look at and say, why are we having hard times in our life? Why are we going through these hard times? The next thing is to reveal what we really love. There are times when, if we're honest, we put people or things before God. If we're honest, we know that's true. 
There's a, there's a person in our life, there's things in our life that we put before God. We would never come out and say, God, this is more important than you. But the way that we live our lives shows that it is. Look at Genesis 22. Here's Abraham and Sarah. They've been waiting for a child their entire life. To the point where they get almost as old as Lee Tucker. I'm almost. I mean, they are, they're getting up there. All right. I love you, Lee. So, they're, they're getting old and to the point where, like, we're too old to have kids. And God says, now I'm going to give you a son. So they have the son that they've been waiting forever for. They have this son. And then God says, Abraham, I want you to take this son, Isaac. And I want you to take him and bring him up to this altar. And I want you to sacrifice him for me. Now, there are people that are going to sit there and say, what kind of God would do that? That is crazy. God was testing Abraham because Abraham had waited so long for this son. This is what he had been praying for, for so long. And when that son finally came, God said, Abraham, I want to know if I'm still number one in your life. Or have I been moved to number two because of this son? So Abraham follows God, takes, takes Isaac up to the mountain. And we know the story that he's up there, lays him on the altar, and before he goes to kill his son to sacrifice him, God tells him to stop, finds the lamb, brings the lamb out and sacrifices him. And God said, I just wanted to make sure that you knew who I was, that I was number one. Because that's what God wants in our lives. He wants to be number one. And you can sit there and say, well, that just seems kind of arrogant and proud and you know, selfish. But I can tell you what, God is God. And he deserves to be number one. Everything we have comes from God. Everything we have, everything that we are, comes from God. And to not allow him to be number one realistically makes no sense. So it may be that God's saying, I want to make sure who you really love. Who is it that you really love? Is it me or is it someone else or, or something else? And then we look at the last one and we, we say, what's, the, what's another thing that God can be teaching us during these hard times? And it could be to teach us to have compassion for others. God could be allowing us to go through some of these hard times to teach us to have compassion for other people. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. We may be going through hard times in our lives because God knows there's going to come a point when someone else in our life is going to need us. To help them through that hard time. So that may not be the, the one reason that God's done it, but that may be something that God is going to be able to use in our life. I've done a number of funerals of people that lost, lost people close to them. I had never really, honestly, I lost a cousin who was like a brother to me when we were in high school. And that was pretty much it as far as losing someone close to me until just past December when my father died. And I remember when I'm doing these funerals and I'm, and I'm talking with people 
And I'm, I'm trying to come alongside and say, you know what? I, I can't really totally relate and understand what you're going through, how hard that must be. I can say, say it differently now. Not to say I know exactly what it feels like, but I can say I understand the pain. I understand some of what you're going through because I've gone through that. When we go through some of these hard times, don't waste it. Allow God to use it to pour into other people because I can promise you whatever it is you're going through, someone else is or is going to go through that. There are so many times we think we're the only ones that are going through the situation we're going through. But that is so not true. There are so many people out there that can use us to, to encourage them and to help them. I, I, just, I think of my mother. When I was in seventh grade, the second time, um, I liked it so much I just said, man, let's do this again. That was fun. So I remember my mother. My mother was a single mother with my sister and I. It was pure torture for her, for my, with, my, with my sister and I. She would at times, she would go in shopping and leave us mistakenly in the car for five minutes. And she'd come back out and the car was almost tipped over because we're just pounding on each other, just going at it. It was crazy. And my mother would just pull her hair out. She's just like, ah, they're driving me nuts. She went gray at 23. Um, or, or something like that. Was, as soon as I was born, she was gray, pretty much. So, But I look at it and I say, my mother went through so much. I remember when I was in, in seventh grade, I went to seventh grade in the public school, failed every class. They would have me come in. This is, I would have a paper out. And the paper out would get done around, I'd get up at 4.35 o'clock. I would do the papers, be done by 6, 6.30 and I'd go do something. I'd come into class. Class started at like 7.30. I'd come in around 8.30. i say, ah, oh, my paper route went long. They said, don't worry about it. It's fine. My first hour teacher just was so happy because I wasn't there. They would have me start coming in early and run the gym to try to get rid of some of my energy. Back then, they didn't have like the ADHD and all those labels. But I promise you, my picture would have been, boom, right in the dictionary, right next to that. Because that was me. I was just going. I had energy galore. Well, they made the mistake of having me come in and run around the gym for half an hour before school started. So now, I'm wide awake. I'm ready to go. Everyone else is like, Ugh. and I'm like, you know, it backfired totally to where I was just like, this is awesome. And I was, I'm running around the, the whole school. And so nothing seemed to work. So I failed seventh grade. I didn't pass. I don't even think I passed gym. And, um, and I fail it. They passed me to, to eighth grade. Because they said, we don't want him back. The great school system in Massachusetts. So my mother said, that isn't happening. So she took me out and put me in a Christian school. So I could torture a new set of teachers. So I had Mr. May. I had, some of you have heard this. Uh, um, Mr. May was my music appreciation teacher which is an oxymoron for me, just so you know. Um, I didn't appreciate music, and a music appreciation was just a class. You sit in there, and you're just like, what am I doing here? And so I go through the class, and back then, they had this great thing that you could do, teachers could do to kids. It's called paddling. All right? Who wants that back? So I, now I do because I'm a parent. But, but I was, seriously, they just, they just branded my name on the paddle. 
And they said, this is Nelson's paddle because it's going to be stuck to his butt for the next year. And so every time I, she'd say, Nelson, get up here. Come up there. She'd have me face the class. That wasn't a very smart thing. And she'd start hitting me, and I'd be like, hey, making faces and stuff. And so she'd try to hit harder, and I'm just kind of mocking her. And so it got to the point where that, the whole year I was doing that to her. She quit teaching that year. I don't know why. I don't understand that. But she just quit teaching, and I, I get done. I go to my first church. after. This is like Massachusetts. So I go through finishing up high school, go to college and, and Air Force and everything else. So it's like 20 years later, I, whatever it is, 100 years later. I go to my first church in Chicago. And I'm at the church, and there's a Christian college across just like two blocks away. So I'm going to the Christian college. I go into the library to, to get some books. And I go up to the librarian. The librarian, no lie, is Miss DeMay. I still recognized her because I still had nightmares. And I, I saw her and I was like, oh. I was like, there's got to be another library somewhere in this town. But I went up and I was like, I'm just going to man up and I'm just going to own this. So I went up, hey, Mr. May. And she looks at me and she's like, yeah. And she didn't recognize me. I should have bolted. I should have left. I said, you don't know who I am. And she goes, no. And I said, I was probably the worst student you ever had. Without hesitating, she goes, Nelson Jenkins! Just like that. And I was like, how in the world? How in the world was it that right like that? Was, have you been like waiting for this moment? And then I'm sitting there going, I wonder if they have like a concealed carry law in, you know, Illinois. But that was me in seventh grade, in, in middle school. I tortured my mother. My poor mother Went through all that. You know what now, though? It's, it's really kind of funny. I have parents who come up and say, can you help me? This is what I'm dealing with with my son. And they describe me in middle school. And I said, I could probably help you a little bit, but let me share. Let me get someone else who can help you more. Someone who's gone through it. And I will have my mother call them and then try to encourage them. I don't sit there and say, you could turn out like this. You know, so... Because I don't want to scare the kids to death, but the parents are like, oh, we're hopeless. But my mother will call them and, and sit there and say, there's hope. Why can she say that? Because she's gone through it. Trust me, she's gone through it and back. And that's the cool thing about is that we can take those hard times that we go through. And we can say, God, I don't want anything to do with you because of this. Or we can sit there and say, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me? What is it that you want me to learn? Who can I help get through this same darkness that I'm going through now? That's what God is calling us to. And we're going to close up by talking real quick about the darkest time in history. Matthew 27, 45 and 46. It says that dark, darkness came... Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Christ is hanging on the cross, dying for our sin, dying in our place because of our sin. All of our sin, the Bible says, was placed on Christ on the cross so that we could be made right with God. And when that happened, there came a point, the Bible says, that God had to turn his back on his only son. 
Because he couldn't be in the presence of that sin. And the Bible says it became dark. So when we think about the dark times in our lives, understand there is a God. We have a Savior who went through the darkest time in history. But he did it for us. He did it because he knew that we couldn't do anything on our own. Remember, we're weak on our own. We're only strong when we have the power of Christ living in us. And we can only do that because of the cross. Because of what Christ did on the cross, we have the strength to live our lives the way that God wants us to live. Because of that darkness that Christ went through, we can get through our darkness. And we can help others through their darkness. Would you stand as we pray? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for enduring the darkness that none of us could ever imagine. And doing it because you loved us. Doing it because you knew that that was the only way that we're going to be made right in God's eyes. Not by being good enough or trying hard enough, but by trusting in what you did for us on the cross. Lord, I pray that if we, as we go through the dark times in our lives, whatever that may be, for each one of us in this room today, Lord, it's going to be different. But I pray that you'll just help us to understand that there's a purpose for that darkness. There's a reason, and you, you haven't left us. You haven't abandoned us. I pray that you'll just help us to know that those footprints in the sand are, are there because you're carrying us. And I pray that you'll just help each one of us to, to get a sense of that even more tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.